Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Back Room. I'm Andy Ostroy. Very excited for today's guest, Harry Sisson. We're going to get to him in a second. But first, thanks for listening and tuning in today. We appreciate that, and we'd love to hear your comments. Uh, so email us at backroomandy at gmail.com and or post on our social media, and we'll read some feedback next time. And if you do like the podcast, please follow or subscribe to be notified every time we post a new episode. Let's bring out Harry Sisson. He's a 20-year-old Gen Z activist. He started his work in politics at a local level by interning with his councilwoman and state senator. He then began utilizing social media to help get young people out to vote in the 2020 presidential election. Since then, he's amassed over 800,000 followers across all platforms. And he's worked with President Obama, the White House, and more. Harry, welcome into the back room. Thank you for having me, sir. I appreciate it. Sir. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> gotta be polite. I gotta get my, know? I have a 19-year-old daughter. Maybe you can uh, help her use that word. Yeah. <laughs> gotta be formal, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I think I have mayonnaise in my fridge older than you. Possibly. Possibly. A lot of us Gen Zers are, are pretty young, you know? Yeah. Well, I gotta start off by just saying I am wild about Harry. Um, you were outside the courthouse when Trump was indicted. Yes, and, yes. And I was, right. I was there too. And I saw you arguing with a MAGA guy and you were like section 42, article six. I was like, <laughs> that was, that was amazing. And so in an era where young people are not always assumed to be engaged in political, people think young people don't give a shit, which yeah. is not true. If you look at the voting stats the last few years. Uh, exactly. Why are you so passionate? You know, it started very young for me. So when I first got interested in politics, I was actually living in Ireland at the time. Um, and it was, you know, 2015, 2016 area. I was 13, 14. Was I remember just, you know, being in Ireland and seeing that the, the 2016 election was upcoming and we had, you know, Donald Trump running for office. Um, and it was like, you know, he, he, and, he and that race between Hillary Clinton and him was kind of my first introduction into politics. I was like, wow, you know, this stuff really matters. Um, you know, the person who's in the office and the people we elect really matter. It's not just something that, you know, old people talk about and, right. you know, argue Thanksgiving dinner over. It's like, yeah, this this affects me and my generation. So when I when I moved back to the United States for my freshman year of high school, I was like, this is the time to move. This is time to get involved. We have the 2020 election coming up um, in three slash two years. Um, and it's time to get this this guy out of the White House. He's done, you know, irreversible damage to the United States. And that was continued to get worse throughout his presidency um, through, you know, stripping people of their rights or, you know, lying about the election, inciting insurrections, all this stuff. And um, I'm like, we have to return to normalcy. We have to make sure that my generation and future generations are protected. Um, and, you know, that just that that happens by all of us, including young people getting involved. So that's why I'm so. Well, it, it is so true and it's so important when you look at the statistics for how many people vote in a given election and it's like 55% of the country, it's crazy. And, yeah. uh, growing up, was your family political? I mean, a, a little bit. My my father would talk about politics here and there and there are a couple issues that we would go back and forth on. Um, and then my, my sibling would also um, chime in every once in a while. We disagree a little bit on politics. So it wasn't something that was um, talked about all the time. Um, so I'm kind of like the, I strayed away from the pack a little bit. You know, I'm, I'm much more involved than anybody in my family is. And uh, you're a little too young for the show Family Ties back in the 80s with Michael J. Uh, Michael J. Fox. He played Alex okay. P. Keaton. 
But you're like the liberal version of him because on the show, he was a very young guy and he was very smart, but he wore a suit and tie like to high school and he was very political. And But, you know, there's just something about you that is extremely articulate. You have to be in command of the facts. You have to be in command of what's going on in the country in order to argue with these people or to make salient points, both of which you do very well. Is that just who you are? Are you like one of these really smart kids who was on the debate team and stuff like that? No, I was, I was never in debate or Model UN or anything like that. Um, and I don't know. I think that as I've I've kind of grown in politics, I've realized that the best way to win debates is have the facts ready. Like the reading, the, the research you do outside of the spotlight will always benefit you when you're in that moment you need to be in a debate. And I think that you know, a figure in politics who really um, hammers that point home is, is President Obama. I think he is always ready with the facts. He's always articulate. Um, and it just always helps in a conversation. And when you're dealing with, especially in politics today, I mean, when, when you're dealing with conspiracy theorists, people who are crazy, people who think that the election was stolen, among the other theories that are pushed today, it's like, um, you're likely not going to convince them anyway. But for the people watching, having those facts and kind of um, being able to refute every single one of their points in a very succinct but um, factual way where you have like citations and everything goes a long way. And I've, I've received messages privately from people being like, you know, I'm not really involved in politics. I don't really know what's going on. But, um, you know, these theories are obviously being pushed by high, high, high power people. Um, but, you know, watching your debate or, or watching the other person on, on, on social media really helped me kind of, um, you know, realize that that's not true and that people lie and that you know, higher power people also don't tell the truth to further themselves. Yeah. You mentioned Obama. I'm 63. And so I remember growing up thinking, man, we are just never going to have a black president ever. Mm. Not in this country. And you who was born in 2003 or two. 2002. 2002. Okay. So when Obama became president, your first president's a black guy. Like yeah. the perspective must be incredible for your generation to grow up, to start out understanding about government and civics and politics with a black president. But then the flip side to that is you're also now living through a time that none of us older people ever saw before, where the sky is not blue, it's it's plaid, <laughs> and facts don't matter anymore, and truth and reality are just crazy. And then there's also these conspiracies of Democrats drinking babies' blood in the basement of pizza oh, parlors in Washington. So- on the one hand, you have this incredible advantage of being born when you were born. But then on the other hand, it's like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, um, you know, one of the biggest downgrades I think we've had in American politics is going from Barack Obama to Donald Trump, right? Yeah. And, and through that downgrade is like, it's it's remarkable. Why do you think that happened, in your opinion? Oh, man. I mean, I think there are so many reasons. I think that, you know, Donald Trump is not good at many things, but he's very good at stoking fear mm -hmm. and uh, getting people to believe things that aren't necessarily true. So, um, you know, in the 2016 campaign, he successfully managed to lie to all these people about Hillary Clinton, whether it be her emails, uh, Benghazi, or just general policy that doesn't even apply to her. He was he's very good at riling people up and getting them scared and getting them angry. Um, and I also think that there were some some failures on behalf of the Clinton campaign. I mean, they didn't even visit Wisconsin once. Right. The swings and they, you know, they they didn't spend as much time in the Rust Belt as they should have, thinking that it was secure. And 
it goes to show you that in American politics and especially presidential politics, nothing is ever secured. It's never, never, nothing should ever be taken for granted. Um, but I, I, I don't know. There's a lot of reasons as to why you know Donald Trump rose to power, and and even crazier reasons as to why he's still somewhat relevant in right. in, in, in politics. Well, he owns the party. Yeah. You know, a lot of people make comparisons to the Nixon Watergate era. And back then the leadership went to Nixon and said, hey, you've lost our support. You must resign, sir. You're going to be impeached. And he was like, oh shit, I'm back in a corner, blah, blah, blah. But Nixon didn't own the Republican Party. The Republican Party owned him. So he was a puppet and they can control and pull the string. We live in this weird situation today with Trump where he could do whatever the hell he wants because he owns the party. He owns the base. He owns them all. They're all like pledging undying fealty to him. And and that's why there doesn't seem to be an end to it. And, you know, I actually tweeted this out yesterday, but I, I think it's truly remarkable and somewhat terrifying that the Republicans still support Donald Trump. This guy is the twice impeached, twice indicted, disgraced former president who's now a proven sexual abuser, fraud, liar, and cheat. And he's done all of that among the terrible policy he passed during his presidency. They don't care. They don't care. They don't care that he has 37 federal indictments in the classified document investigation that he stored. He stole nuclear secrets, stored them in his bathroom, Mar-a-Lago. And then, you know, the multiple times that federal authorities asked for them back, he didn't give it back. I mean, I, I could go on for forever, but they see these things. They don't care. And Donald Trump said it himself that he could go to Fifth Ave and shoot someone and he wouldn't lose voters. And he was right for once. Yeah. I always joke around like he, when he said that he could literally do it and his crowd would be like, well, that nun deserved it. He could literally shoot a nun in the face and they'd be like, she had to go. It's not so much that they don't care. It's they actually like it. His numbers are going up now. It's crazy. <laughs> it's like the more he's indicted, the more he's corrupt, the worse he appears, the more they like him. They love him because I think he speaks to their worst qualities as, as humans. He gives, he gives legitimacy to them. It's okay to be racist. It's okay to be mean. It's okay to be uncivil. It's okay to be stupid. I'm stupid. Look at me. I make up words like Kofivi. He gives them legitimacy. And so yeah. the more he does it, they like that. I don't know how you change that though. I, you know, I don't, I don't know. It, it's very culty. And, um, I think as you'll remember outside the New York courthouse, I was astonished but also not surprised at the MAGA uh, representation there <laughs> so you get there and there's a lot of people who are anti-Trump and they're they're saying you know he needs to be held accountable but on the, the other side of the the barriers there were these people flying Trump flags and proudly um, wearing their MAGA hats and this was before we even knew any of the evidence in that case they just they just no matter what no matter what we he could have committed the most heinous crime and uh they they're standing by him there's there's not much we can do to heal that other than, in my view, um, kind of like remove MAGA from politics through elections. So making sure we continue to elect Democrats for president, um, Democrats control the Senate, Democrats control the House. But at the least, if we can't do that, having Republicans like Romney or John McCain or uh, Lisa Murkowski be the Republicans that get elected. Um, and as and, you know, with these recent Supreme Court decisions, that also matters, getting these making these Trump judges, you know, irrelevant on the court by getting a, hopefully a majority soon if Thomas and Alito decide to ever step down. But I, I don't know how we solve it. Young man, I hate to burst your bubble. Not going to happen. <laughs> Not going to happen. Not going to happen. 
So you were born a few years before Obama. Were there other people around that time as a young person, as you got to your teens that you were inspired by? Yeah, I mean, I think Obama and, and uh, Michelle Obama are, mm -hmm. are huge inspirations for me. Um, but, and you know, some Democratic presidents in the past, I think that, you know, people who took bold stances on issues, mm -hmm. um, you know, like FDR with, you know, the, the Great Depression, he had some bad things, but, you know, the Great Depression policy, I think that was great. Um, you know, I can go on different presidents, but I also think someone who's become a, a role model for me in somewhat recent years, probably like the last five years is President Biden. Hmm. Um, I think his story is just so impressive. Uh, the hardship he's gone through his life from losing a wife to two kids for, to different circumstances, mm -hmm. um, and continuing to serve, uh, the public and, you know, giving all that time to the public, wanting to serve and then you know, in retirement, you served vice president for eight years, it's time to go and rest with your kids. You know what I mean? Go, go live your life. And, you know, you had a tremendous impact as vice, as, as vice president, but then he comes out of retirement to go beat Donald Trump like a drum. You know what I mean? And I, I think that's, I think that's admirable and he, he wants to do it again. And, um, you know, I can only admire that. I really can. I'm in, in total agreement with you. I think he's one of the most, if not the most successful, productive first term presidents in modern history, or maybe even all of history, but his polling, his approval is atrocious. Ugh. And you got to assume his polling among Gen Z has got to be even worse. Why do you think you are in such a rare place of being so supportive of Biden when it seems like all anyone of any age seems to want to talk about is his age? I mean, you're 20, he's 80. I mean, yeah. he makes me feel young. That's, that's <laughs> not easy to do. So why aren't more young people or people in general feeling the way you do about Biden? You know, I think that if you're if you're not paying attention to politics on a daily basis and kind of reviewing all the policy and in-depth review of the policy that the Biden administration is passing, it's easy to um, ignore those things and kind of look at what might be on the outside what might be, you know, the first thing that catches your eye about the Biden administration, it might be because of his age. And I don't think that age questions are unjustified. I don't think that anybody who's saying, oh, Biden's old is wrong. Um, but I also don't think it's fair for that to be disqualifying. Um, there has to be a balance. You can be concerned about his age, that's fine. But understand that this president, as you talked about, has been incredibly successful, passed some major policy, most on a bipartisan scale. Um, and a lot of those things help Gen Z. A lot of those people, things help young voters. So across the board, I, I don't really have an answer as to why, you know, Biden's polling is not great. I think that, you know, the Democratic Party's messaging sometimes is poor. That could easily definitely contribute to, contribute to it. But whenever I'm, t I'm talking to young people about this, you know, they want a more progressive vision or a younger, more progressive figure in the White House. Um, but I have a very pragmatic approach to politics. Mm -hmm. So I'm saying that. I, I, t I tell these folks, I'm like, look, I get you might want this person or this person in office, and I, I don't, I don't think you're wrong, but we have to think about who's going to be Trump, who can get things done, um, and once you kind of go down the list of criteria for a good president, you you landed Joe Biden, right? You mentioned messaging, which I think is really important. On the one hand, you could say overall, in the macro sense, the Democrats' messaging has been great because they've been winning all the elections the last few years, but take something that I know is important to your generation, which is Biden's policy of forgiving $20,000 in student loans, which was just struck down, as we both know, today by the Supreme Court. 
if the shoe was on the other foot, you know what they would be doing, right? Like if it rains, they blame Biden, the Democrats. And DeSantis would be like, it's the woke rain. It's the woke rain. Everything is woke. Everything is Democrats. Everything is Biden. But I guarantee you on an effective level, you will not hear the left say, Joe Biden's plan to give you guys money was struck down by the Supreme Court today, a Republican Supreme Court that was put in place by our Republican president. And that's why you, they don't make that connective tissue. They don't go and do that. And that's a real lost opportunity with messaging. Uh, Ooh, yeah, I mean, the Democrats, I, I've said this before and I'll say it again. We got to take off the gloves. We got to go in there. We got to take off the gloves. And I think that any time a member of the Democratic Party or people who are on social media, for example, like myself or others, have to say every single time that this was the Republicans' fault. Because mm -hmm. even, even while this was being litigated, I got comments like, oh, Biden said we were getting X amount of dollars in student loan and we didn't get it. What's going on? I'm like, well, you know, there's there's litigation. But we we have to be saying the words Republicans, Trump, Supreme Court in every single discussion about student loan forgiveness. Um, and it's unfortunate that it probably won't be that way, um, as you mentioned. But that's kind of my my mindset going forward. I'm sure you're going to be the same way. Um, but yeah, we just need to be we need to be tougher. We need to be really hard hitting with our messaging. I agree. Yeah, and you look at Trump, and he literally will say, "You know, I got indicted for you." No, he didn't. But yet yeah. he says it, and they believe him. And the more he takes the punches, the more popular he becomes. Whereas Joe Biden, the more good that he does. It seems he takes more punches. And Trump, you're right. He knows exactly what to give his people. He knows exactly what to say. He knows exactly what they're looking for. And that's his evil genius. And then there's Trumpism, right? Yeah. Trump can go away. But even when he goes away, this genie that's been let out of the bottle called Trumpism, you know, incivility, racism, blatant racism, transphobia, homophobia, all this crap. And the other court case today where the Christian uh. web designer... Hey, uh, yeah. it's against my religious beliefs to create a website for a gay couple getting married. Like, how does that go away? I think it can. Will it anytime soon? Probably not. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that the Republican Party, especially in the House, is now controlled by MAGA Republicans. I mean, you remember the speaker vote, you know, for 15, 14 rounds of voting because MAGA Republicans were holding it up. You know, this is this is now the the Republican Party. If they if the right's flank is not getting what they want, which is now becoming an ever growing majority, um, the party won't be able to do anything. Mm -hmm. And if that's infiltrating Congress and it's infiltrating presidential politics, and now you know it's clearly infiltrating the voter base um, since 2016, and now to the point where you know Trump can do no wrong, it's very hard to see how we exterminate it. How we kind of get people back on the right track being like, yeah, well, you know, it was kind of crazy, but let's just focus on, you know, foreign policy, domestic policy. Yeah, you know what? I, re I really don't have anything against trans kids. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. How do we, how do we get people back to that, you know, that, that mindset of let's talk about the real issues. Um, you know, not whether Donald Trump just signaled to QAnon in his new truth social post. Right. Right. Um, I just think it's an experiment that's going to have to continue. I think we're all going to have to continue to fight very, very hard in every single election for every single seat for years and years to come. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that one day, you know, one, once my generation becomes a bigger and bigger voting block and younger, even younger generations than us are voting more, we'll look back on Trumpism and, you know, MAGA and Trump himself 
with disdain. I mean, I think they're really going to be on the very wrong side of history. Yeah. And so how does someone like you get out the vote? What do you do to get more people? Not, I mean, engaged would be great to understand the facts <clears throat> the way you do would be absolutely phenomenal. But just one day out of the year, just to get them to go vote. That's all we need yeah. is just go vote. How do you help make that happen in your generation? Yeah, well, so my, my main social media platform is TikTok. Um, and um, there, it kind of depends on the time. So once we get really close to elections, I go in full get out the vote mode. I mean, I'm like every, every video I'm ending it with, this is the date to go vote. This is the issues, you know, go out and vote this date for this person. Um, but when we're kind of not in an election right now, like we're sort of in 2024 season, sort of not right now. We're kind of just getting in there. I'm more focused on just um, highlighting the facts, kind of the differences we're starting to see between the candidates um, and then go from there. But I really think that uh, for young people to want to get out on the vote, it's really beneficial to see another young person being like, hey, I'm young, you're young. We both share values. We both care about these issues. This is how we make sure that these rights are protected or these is how we tackle this issue or that issue, whatever it may be. I think that's beneficial, like kind of seeing that similarity, having that uh, that's something in common with the person telling you. And it's not just like some person in the Democratic Party telling you to get out and vote. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just like hammering home the dates. No, it, it's, the calls to action like that are so important. There's this misconception that my vote doesn't count. And we yeah. see how that's so not true. You know, how so many races are so close. It's literally the one day of the year where the billionaire and the janitor have the same exact power. And if people yeah. really understood that, like if instead of 55% of the population voting, let's say 80% of Democrats voted, we'd have everything we'd want. Everything, yeah. right? It's that <laughs> exactly. simple. It's that yeah. simple. How do you get that simplicity drilled into people, young people's heads? That all it is is just one fucking day out of the year, just vote your candidates in, and then you have all the power. Yeah, and... What's unfortunate is that on a world scale, we're actually very privileged that we even have the right to vote, that we even have the right to choose our president, our representative, our senator, your local, whatever. It's a, it's a massive privilege on a world scale. But you're right. And, and that's, what, that's part of like my, my election time messaging. It's like, it's so easy. I voted twice now. I voted for Biden in 2020, and then I voted for Democrats all the way down the ballot in 2022. And I walked in there. They gave me a ballot. I filled in some circles, put in a machine, walked out five minutes. That easy. You do your civic duty and, you know, you can say you did it, right? You can say that I, I tried to vote for abortion rights, climate change, student love, whatever it may be. I tried. Um, but then the problem is when you don't vote and then you get these crazy Republicans in there, um, then you can't say that you, you stood up. You can't say you, you, were, you were fighting for anything. And I think that's a really important point as well. It's like, you wanna, you wanna like emphasize that this is a movement, not just like, oh, you know, we're just telling you to go vote because we wanna uh, you know, maintain power. It's more like, no, like we actually wanna get stuff done. But it's very frustrating. It's like one well, day. You, you connect the dots. That's the problem that a lot of these young kids and older people who don't vote, they don't connect the dots. They're just like, yeah, whatever. It's not going to matter. What's my vote going to yeah. matter? And it does. We see when women get pissed off after a Dobbs decision and they vote, we see what happens. When black women, people of color get upset and they go vote in droves, we see what happens. I mean, just imagine if we all voted. Uh, by the way, yeah. I, I started doing TikTok videos recently. If you want to see yourself and hear yourself in about 43 years, 
check out my videos because I think you're going to, it's what you're going to be. It's just an, an old guy ranting about all the same <laughs> shit you're ranting about now, except a little more wrinkles and gray hair. Um, no, I think it's really noble what you're doing because I don't think it's, um, it's not fake. You really have a passion for what you're doing. It's in your DNA. And uh, clearly, I suspect you're going to end up a congressman or a senator <laughs> or maybe even a president someday uh, because this is where it starts. And I, I you know, I've been in, uh, involved and in, passionate about politics since I can remember. And I can't fathom. Do you ever think about like, what is it like to wake up in the morning and just absolutely not give a shit about politics? Like, yes, what, what is that like? Time. What would that look like? What is your day like when you right? don't care I, I about don't politics? What are you reading in the, in the morning or something like, I don't know. I think, you know, I, I think the saying that ignorance is bliss is true. I, politics Bingo. is very, um, it can be very happy. It can be very rewarding. It can be, you know, um, excellent, but it can also be very depressing, stressful and saddening. Um, and I think that a lot of the time, most of the time, I even say it's depressing. Uh, when you kind of look at the issues that go on in America, the fact that, um, you know, we see policy like, for example, the child tax credit, which in one year lowered child poverty by 50 percent. Uh, and the Democrats wanted to renew it and the Republicans said no. So when you're when you're sitting there um, and you're like, my God, that's so frustrating. We have an easy way to lift kids out of poverty, make sure they're they're not hungry at night and we're not doing it. A lot of people might look at that and be like, well, that's that. I don't, I don't need to I don't need to read this anymore. I don't want to hear about this anymore. It makes me sad. It makes me frustrated. So I'm not going to do it. Um, and I think that's what motivates a lot of people. I think that ignorance is bliss. They don't want to be depressed every day and they don't, they like their bubbles where, wherever they may be living and the happy families they have or communities, whatever it may be. Yeah, no, you're right. I've had conversations with people, educated people, and they're just like, I, I, I can't deal. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, your daughter just lost the right to have an abortion. Like, <laughs> what do you mean you can't deal? Like, what, what does it involve? I mean, what, what does that even mean? Like one day out of the year you can't vote or like, you can't write a check if you have money like once every six months to a Congress. Like, what does that mean? We're not asking you to quit your job. Just yeah. care, right? It's all about caring. Like, I think people who are apolitical or can't deal, they just don't connect the dots. And then, like you said, like something happens and then they're frustrated and angry. But it's like, you're the one that said you can't deal, right? We need, it's we like need, very yeah, we need people to deal. Um, you're very active on Twitter. I just want to read a couple of your tweets that I checked out recently. One was on Trump. You said, holy crap, a former Trump aide has come forward and revealed that Trump would often talk to others about having sex with his daughter, Ivanka. His chief of staff had to remind him that she was his daughter. Fucking disgusting. Yeah. And I love that you put the ampersand instead of the letter U because you can hardly yeah, tell yeah. it's the word fucking. Um, right. But uh, it is. It is disgusting. Like, how... There's no bottom to the disgusting revelations that come out of this man, is there? Oh, I mean, and, and the thing about that story specifically is that it might be intuitive to the, to the human brain to be like, well, of course he didn't say that. No, like, why would, a, why would a father ever say that about his daughter? I mean, Trump, whoever it is, that probably wouldn't happen. Then you kind of look at the story a little bit deeper, and then you kind of consider outside facts that, yeah, Trump has actually talked about Ivanka's body publicly. He also said that he would date her publicly. Um, there's also some very inappropriate images out there where, in which just a father should not be engaging with his daughter in that way. And you're like, hmm, 
Trump aid said this, all this previous evidence. This seems pretty compelling. 20 plus women have accused him of sexual assault. 20 plus, he, he, exactly. He's a rapist. OK, um, mm -hmm. he hung out with Jeffrey Epstein. So, like, what's there not to get? Like, he yeah. wanted to bang his own daughter, which is incomprehensible. It's just I mean, like the fact that he's like still on the scene and he's still like Howard Dean screamed. Yeah. And that was it. His career was over. Yeah. Like, his political yeah. career, his campaign ended. Miles Taylor, who is a, a national security expert in his administration, writes a book and says he, he wants to bang his own daughter. And like, nobody gives a shit. His, right. And numbers go up. The crazy thing. And I, I think you and I had some similar thinking in the moment is that we're talking about a former president of the United States. This is not just some creep down the road. There's some weirdo who you know, thinks that UFOs are coming to kill us one day. This is the former president of the United States, a guy who's leading in the Republican Party. This is it is insane that we are talking about this guy in this way, and this guy is still relevant in our politics. It's so frustrating. Well, it's like you said earlier. He said he can shoot someone on Fifth Avenue, and he's yeah. lose support, and, and he can. He can not only shoot someone on Fifth Avenue, he can rape a woman in a, in a dressing room. He could talk about banging his own daughter. Nothing takes him away from his base. I do think he's lost part of his base, but there's still 20, 30% of the country that is just undyingly loyal to him. You also tweeted about the court. You showed pictures of the six hard right justices. And you said, these six people right here have caused so much damage in this country. And the Republican Party was the group who assisted them and made it happen. That's such a powerful message to what we were speaking about before. Look what happened with voting. You put a man like Trump in the Oval Office and he gets to a point three Supreme Court justices. So that's no surprise. This is what they're going to do, yeah. right? And, and I and every time, God, man, the Supreme Court frustrates me so much because when we're talking about you know American politics and recent American politics, every time I have this conversation, I'm like, if we would have elected Hillary Clinton, we would have a five core majority in the Supreme Court right now because Garland's unfilled seat would have been filled, presumably by Garland. Then. Um, we wouldn't have lost uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat. Mm -hmm. And then we will, and then I think, yeah, and, and Kavanaugh's seat, we would have also gone as well. And that would be a 5-4 majority and affirmative action would still be alive. Roe would still be alive. Student loan forgiveness would have gone through. Rights would be protected and granted, but not in this hellscape. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I, I mean, and that's the fact of the matter that the Republican Party has put those people in there. Trump put those people in there. He brags about putting them in and, and overturning Roe. Um, and that's why every time I talk about the Supreme Court, I'm like, the Republicans did this. Their conservative justices are, are, are hurting our country. Um, yeah. I mean, the lifetime appointment thing is crazy to begin with. Yeah. But uh, I know a lot of people were upset with Ginsburg for not stepping down sooner, especially when uh, Democrats controlled Congress. I do think justices like Ginsburg should just strategically step aside at a certain time. And they don't. They go right up to the end often and well, it's just a matter of crossing fingers and hoping the timing works out um, yeah. and then you also tweeted uh about the court so let me get this straight marjorie taylor green and other republicans got their ppp loans totally forgiven but americans with student loan debt are left to dry that's the republican logic uh, okay gen z will respond accordingly in 2024 that's the kind of tough talk. That's, you know, that's a threat. There's no thinly veiled threat there. That is a threat. Gen Z will respond. Will they? I think so. I think if I had to make a bet right now, I think that 
2024, Gen Z is going to win Joe Biden the election um, and hopefully keep our majority in the Senate, which is going to be tough given the map, but hopefully retain the House as well. But, you know, we're, the data we're seeing from recent elections, whether it be 2020, where we saw a decent uptick in youth voting, and then 2022, which was a massive uptick in youth voting, especially in midterms, that trend is only going to continue. Um, and, you know, Gen Z got even more blue from 2020 to 2022. Mm -hmm. A higher portion of Gen Z voted for Democrats in 2022 than 2020. Um, so with more and more young people getting engaged, with them being more and more blue, with the Republicans, whether it be through the Supreme Court or just through Congress or for them just opening their mouths, doing more and more crazy things. I know so many young people in my life who had previously not paid attention at all who are looking at these people like they're nuts and like, I, I got to get out and vote. Even if it's just, even if all I do is just vote on that one day and read an article here and there, right. they feel a sense of duty. I think it's also been enhanced by the concern among young people with gun violence and mass yes. shootings and school shootings. And you look at people like David Hogg and others who have come out of Parkland and have become very engaged and become huge advocates politically. I know people like me always say this upcoming election, every election is like the most important election ever, but this one really is. Like if this maniac gets back in the White House and Republicans control Congress, this country's fucked. I mean, uh, we interviewed someone earlier today you're an NYU student, right? I am. Yep. I interviewed a NYU professor this morning, Ruth yeah. Ben-Ghia, yeah. an ex expert on fascism. Yes. And we've talked yes. for a long while about how close we became and how close we still are to slipping into autocracy. And so it, it's not just about like, oh, weed should be legal all over the country and my debt should be forgiven and we should have clean air and clean water. It's like democracy is at stake. How do you make yep. sure that that existential crisis that we're facing as a government is really what people of all ages are focusing on. Yeah, well, um, you know, it's always nice to talk about the issues and it's very important to talk about the issues. Um, all these affecting us, as we've just mentioned, gun violence, row, uh, climate change, right, whatever it may abortion, be. Right, another. Or, but all these issues won't matter and we won't even be able to have a conversation on them and change them if we don't have a democracy. So democracy is the foundation of what allows us to actually go through the process and change these issues. Um, and I think that's the way I tackle it with people who are like, what's this democracy on the ballot thing? Why does Joe Biden talk about democracy? Why, what is this all about? But, you know, the Republican Party has become so sympathetic to authoritarianism to the point where if Donald Trump would have succeeded on January 6th, he would have done it. Like he would have stayed in office willingly and the Republicans would have gone along with it, whether it be Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, Marjorie, whatever it be. On a lie, on a lie, they would have allowed Donald Trump to stay in office and operated him with him as the rightful executive. And they wouldn't have impeached him or whatever, you know, whatever hypothetical we could get into about what would happen. But yeah, I think that at the end of the day, the democracy is what allows us to thrive and makes us different from other nations and what makes us so powerful. And that has to be at the forefront of a lot of these conversations. Do you think social media, in, in, I know there's a lot of critics of social media, but do you think social media is a real benefit, a real advantage in this process in spreading that message? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think social media can be a, a positive and a negative. Positive in the sense that, you know, we, information is, is more easily spread than ever before. Um, and it's easier to get it on a wide scale and, and send it to millions upon millions of people. Um, but also on the negative is that these 
these conspiracy theories, which gain people's attention, also spread very wide. They can go viral on, so, on certain social media platforms because of their algorithms, because people are like, wait, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, Democrats are eating babies or, you know, QAnon said that there's going to be an uprising tomorrow. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it can, be, it can be both a positive and a negative. I think mostly positive because I, I like to believe that, you know, your average American is, is looking at these conspiracy theories and be like, what the hell are they talking about? Mm -hmm. Do you ever get asked by the right wing media to come on their shows or their podcasts, like just to <laughs> debate you and try to make you look like some young, foolish guy or that they just know that that's probably not a wise thing to do? Well, you know, I've uh, I've gotten some some requests from like, you know, smaller, very, very, very small conservative podcasts, which I tend to not go on because I don't really know who the person is and what it, that they're all about. Right. But in terms of like bigger media, like Fox News, no, they've never had me on, but they've they've attached me like four different times. They've really? played my videos. That was my next Yeah, they put five videos on their, mm -hmm. their show. And they've been like, oh, you're wrong or this or that about Gen Z or, you know, whatever. Uh, so no, I haven't gotten any requests so far. I would happily, listen, if Fox News wants to have me on and try a debate, I would love to do that. I'd yeah. happily do it. Well, I'd, I'd bet you don't that debate. And do you ever get threats? Do you have crazies coming after you? Yeah, I get a lot of, I actually do get a lot of threats. I mean, earlier in the summer, I think I was like a week home from NYU and I got swatted. I had uh, these, these big guys, you know, someone called my local police station. They said that, you know, me, I killed my sister, my killed my parents i don't have a sister by the way for the, which was funny and that i rigged my house with like grenades and i had an ar-10 and thousand rounds of ammunition i demanded a million dollars and a flight to canada and so the cops had to respond to that call and they came to my house with big rifles and i was on the phone with police i'm like this is a swatting call like nobody's dead and they're like okay okay we get it just like walk out with your hands up you're gonna come get patted down and i'm like okay wow. so i got patted down they searched the house and everything like that and they're like yeah okay so it was a swatting call but yeah, I mean, that was a pretty scary experience. And I have people, you know, send me my address. I've had people call my phone and it's not fun. It's not what do fun. your uh, parents think about what you do? They're mostly supportive. Um, they, they don't, I think they don't really understand, um, which is kind of expected. Uh, if you're not like heavily involved in social media and you're, you're kind of an older folks and you don't, you know, you really maybe, maybe not use it every day or something like that. I don't know. I'm sure you get entertained really when you, when you hear people like Chuck Grassley talk about TikTok. <laughs> Uh, yeah, what's this TikTok thing? <laughs> yeah, like that hearing. The, yeah, yeah. The TikTok it's so funny. Hearing. Oh, it's so bad. Yeah. So they, are funny. they worried about you, your parents? Because it is a kind of a weird environment out there. You know, people yeah. are making threats and doing weird shit. And as a parent of someone around your age, I, on the one hand, I'd be like, oh, that's so awesome. And I, you know, be engaged. But probably like the first time if my daughter ever said, oh, I got a threat today, I'd be like, you're done. You're absolutely done. Done. Cut off. Find a new right. job. Uh, <laughs> I guess it's got to be a little push and pull uh, with them. Yeah, I mean, a little bit. I mean, there's always there's always been the thought in, in the back of my head that, you know, something like this might eventually happen. Mm -hmm. um, but what's, what's important to me and I think what's important to my parents as well is that we don't let people who threaten us or threaten me like win mm -hmm. to the point where I'm like, yeah, I'm going to quit now because I got threats. It's like, no, like mm -hmm. you're not going to that. That swatting is not it's only it only makes me more motivated. Right. You know? Give me your quick assessment of the 24 Republican field. Who do you like? Who do you think is smart? Who do you think has got a chance? Yikes. Who do you think is I mean, an idiot? The only, well, I'd say that all of them mostly <laughs> are, but I think the only two people that have chances are probably DeSantis and Trump. But um, I think the rest of them are, are not that bright, are probably don't have a chance, um, are shallow, are bland, don't really have any solutions. I think the only interesting candidate to me is Chris Christie. Mm-hmm. 
campaign he's running is super interesting. Um, taking on Trump and the, the the cult and um, speaking some truth. And I think he's right a lot of the time mm-hmm. on Trump. Mm-hmm. He's wrong on a lot of things. I mean, yeah. he, he goes after Biden for stupid reasons. That's fine. Um, but I'm I'm really intrigued to see to see how his campaign goes. And I really want to see him on the debate stage with Trump. Oh, if they did that as a pay per view for like ninety nine, <laughs> I swear to God, I'd be like, just t- here's my card. Charge me yeah. whatever you need. Like, I want to see that throwdown. Yeah. My last question to you has nothing to do with politics, but it's a window into the soul question. And it involves music because that often gives us a glimpse of who a person is by you know what they're listening to. Give me your top five musical artists. Man. I was going to say of all time, but you're just like four days old. So I, I, I yeah, right. we can go back with that. Top five music artists of all time. That's a really good question. Um, I think... I'm a big fan of, I have a lot of different music tastes, but I'm a big fan of people like Drake, like Post Malone. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the first artists I ever started listening to, the first person that got me into music was Chance the Rapper. Mm, okay. Um, who else? Who else do I listen to pretty frequently? Can I look at my Spotify really quick? Sure. Okay. Tay Tay? Uh, you know, I, I dabble. I don't mind Taylor Swift. <laughs> I think she has good songs. Um, Let's see did here. you go see her? This is the difference. Did you go see her recently? I did not. Oh, okay. And you might be a dabbler. And then I'm a dabbler. I'm a little bit of a dabbler. I like Lil Yachty as well. Um, Atlanta rapper. He's great. Um, let's see here. And then I have different music tastes. Like I think Justin Bieber's great. I think that Joji's great. Um, and those and those kind of more R and B singers. I don't know. Those I think like a lot of those folks I kind of listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, and okay. so I have a wide range. of who doesn't love the Biebs? Exactly. I like Vanilla Ice. You probably don't know who that is, but uh, my generation, they're like, really, Vanilla Ice? I'm like, yeah. Doom, 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 doom. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Play that song, and I defy you not to start moving. I don't care how old you exactly. are. Um, Harry, uh, I meant it before. I am wild about Harry. I think you're amazing. I love what you're doing. This was a great conversation. I do hope you'll come back periodically, and uh, I appreciate your time. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. All righty. Take care. Likewise. We have Mike Pence here, and he's going to do the closing. Thank you, Andy. If you, the American people, like what you've been hearing, and even if you, the American people, don't, let us, also American people, know. We appreciate the feedback. You can leave us a message at 845-307-7446. You can even email us at backroomandy at gmail.com. Or tweet to me at Mike Pence. Uh, I mean, Andy Ostro. Sorry, Andy. And when you listen, please take a quick moment to rate and review. It's very helpful. And if you do like the podcast, please follow or subscribe. And you'll be notified every time we post a new episode. I want to thank my co-producer, engineer, and editor, Maddie Rosenberg. <clears throat> Associate producer, Jed Mood. Jen, so Wonderful to be in the room with you. Cricket Langell for our artwork. Great name, Cricket. The American people love unique names. Andy Hollander for our excellent music. I, I'm being a man of faith, I can't say kick-ass music. Um, Patricia Wind and the Epicurean for the backroom studio. Um, I also would be remiss if I didn't mention Mother. Thank you, Mother. And a big thank you again to our guest, Harry Sisson. So keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards, and we hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.